We are in week three in the conclusion of Overcome, and I've got a lot of positive feedback from this series. In fact, a friend of mine that was in church, not here yet, I don't think, maybe coming to the later service, uh, texted me last week, said, awesome, I wanted to come up in the middle of the message and high five you. And I said, well, you should have. Uh, because I guess we're helping some people. Uh, our theme verse for this series is 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Which says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So can I wake you up right off the bat this morning to say that you're in a war? And whether you fight or not doesn't mean the war is not going to go away. If you don't fight, it just means you don't win. You're going to lose the fight. You're going to lose the battle. You're in a war. And we need to learn how to fight with the weapons that we've been given by God. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. And that's really what this whole series is about. It's about the word strongholds. What's a stronghold? A stronghold is that area that the devil just picks on you. And I think everybody in the room probably has a stronghold. I know if the enemy attacks me, he usually does it in this one area in my life, and he's going to attack me there. And uh, my role as a pastor is to help us break free from some of those things that have been plaguing us. The verse continues, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So, so the devil's making a case. He's, he's got some arguments, some pretending, some pretension that's going on in your head. He's trying to convince you some things that are not true, that are setting themselves up against what God said is true about those areas in your life. And, and he's going to make it look like, hey, this is the way to go. And he tells you it works, but it never works. Because again, it's going against what God wants for your life. And the way we fight that is we have to expose those lies. He is the father of lies. He is a great deceiver. Expose the lies, replace them with truth. The truth about what God says on those subjects. That's how we beat the enemy. In week one, Pastor Josh did a great job of setting up the theology around the series. Week two, we talked about overcoming addictions. If you have not listened to those, I would encourage you to jump onto iTunes, Google Play, or our, our website and listen to those sermons. I do think they'd be helpful. Today, we conclude with what uh, is the number one reason people come into my office for counseling. The number one reason for counseling in America, we're talking about finances. Yay. <laughs> Jesus had a lot to say about finances. In fact, about a third of the words in red, all of Jesus' words dealt with dollars. Um, about a third of them. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 16. This is the New King James Version. And I use that for a reason. It says, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. And I'm going to explain mammon in a minute, uh, but you're going to see that word three times in a very short text. That when you fail, and the word fail there in the Greek is translated as die. So when you die, in other words, make a bunch of friends, use your money so that when you die, there'll be people in heaven who may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. So there's a stewardship issue that God's trying to get through to us. And I don't know how all that works, but there's going to be a day when you and I are standing face to face with God. And part of the conversation we have with God is, Reed, I stewarded to you X amount of dollars in your lifetime. What did you do with that? And I'm going to be held accountable to that. But there's a stewardship issue that's happening and, and, and we're going to have to answer in that moment. And he, the verse continues, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, there's the word again, who will commit to your trust the true riches? In other words, 
God says, if I can't trust you with the mammon thing, how can I trust you with more things? Like if you can't get this thing figured out, how can I trust you with other things and make you responsible for more things? And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant, can serve, uh, no servant can serve two masters. So now Jesus is kind of taking it another level and he's saying, well, now we're talking about mastership. We're not just talking about mammon. No servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. So typically when I'm reading, typically when I throw verses on the screens, it's in the New International Version. There's a reason I use that, and I can explain that to you in a different time. Uh, But today I wanted to just take out the New King James Version, and the reason is because it has the word mammon. In the NIV and some of the contemporary translations, it it replaces that with money. Sometimes it's a capital M, money, but I don't think it really grasps what mammon is, what this is talking about. So mammon, what is mammon? Mammon comes from the Greek word uh, mammonas. I'm sorry, mammonas. What they did is they transliterated the word, meaning there wasn't a word in the English for mammon, for mammonas. So they said, well, let's just make a word, mammonas, mammon. Well, what's mammonas? What's mammon? Mammon, or mammonas, was actually a god that came out of Syria. It was the god of riches, Syrian god of riches, and it actually birthed out of Babylon. What's interesting about Babylon, Babylon got its name from Babel, All right, Babel is the root word of Babylon, which literally translates as confusion. So this whole mammon thing is a Syrian god of riches, which got its roots from Babylon, which got its roots from this word that means confusion. And doesn't money sometimes lead to confusion? It does, it just, it's kind of confusing. Haggai 1.6 in the Living Bible says, your income disappears as though you were putting it into pockets filled with holes. It's like it was there and it's not there anymore. Anybody felt that way before? You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of confusing. Uh, I had money, I ain't got no money. Where'd that money go? Uh, That's that's what happens. Uh, The number one reason people get divorced in America is because of money. And I think it's because it causes confusion. We fight over money. There's tension over money. There's anger over money. There's confusion over money. The number one thing that gets discussed in Washington, D.C., money. Right? How are we going to use it? What, what are we going to spend it on? Where do we need to make cuts? What's the deficit look like? How do we improve the debt? How do we spend it? Should we raise taxes? Should we lower taxes? I'll prove to you that they're confused in Washington. If you personally, if you personally were the federal government, it would be like you making $50,000 a year, spending $80,000 a year, and borrowing $200,000 a year and going, yeah, I think this is going to work. That's, that's what our government does. Uh, and they're going, yeah, I think this is, this is a good pattern. No, it's not, because there's interest on that money, and it's going to all crash eventually. That's what's going to happen. Uh, and that's why it's so confusing. Just keep spending. We can't keep spending money. There's no money. We just keep borrowing money on top of money. It's a spirit that Jesus referred to, the spirit of mammon, the this, this Syrian god of riches. It's a spirit from the devil. In fact, that's why Jesus called the devil a thief. He says, hey, he's going to rob from you. If you don't get this thing figured out, the enemy will steal from you. I'll prove to you that he tricks you one more way. There's a book called The Day America Told the Truth, and the co-authors of the book did a lot of research, and here's what they found out. They asked the question of Americans, what would you be willing to do for $10 million? Think about that. What would you be willing to do for $10 million? Here are America's responses. 25% would abandon their entire family. 
16% would give up their American citizenship. My wife and I were wrestling with that. We're like, well, we could live in London. London would be nice. <laughs> 10% would withhold testimony, letting a murderer go free. 7% would actually kill a stranger. Okay? So if there's 200 people in the room, look out, 14 of you I'm worried about. <laughs> What's your neighbor? 3% would put their children up for adoption. Some of you are like, I do that for free right now. Remember what my kids? I'll give them to you right now. I'll pay you to take my kids. Listen to me. Money has a spirit on it. Money has a spirit on it. It's never neutral. It, it either has God's spirit or it has mammon's spirit. It's never neutral. And your money, my money, all money has a spirit. We've got to figure out a way to put God's spirit on our money, where you submit it to God for the purposes of God to advance the kingdom of God. We've got to figure that out so that money never has a higher place in our hearts than God. So how do we get that? Mammon lies to you. And I could share with you 20 lies this morning. I'm going to give you three. Three lies that I know everybody in the room has heard about money. Here's the first one, is that money will make me secure. You've heard that. You might have said that. In fact, I've, I've counseled couples. And I'm like, why don't you get married? And they're like, well, we're waiting till we're financially secure. Which will never happen. <laughs> I don't like that. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's a good thing. Listen, God's not against you having money. He's just against money having you. And, and, and so when we say we're gonna, have our, we're gonna find our security, I wanna have financial security, I think that's a slippery slope. Listen to Proverbs 18, 11. It says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. Notice I highlighted the word there. It's their fortified city. The wealth is where I find my fortification. I don't want to find my fortification in my wealth. I don't want to find my fortification in my money, in anything on this earth. I don't want to be responsible for my own fortification. I want to find my fortification in God. I don't want to be protected by my wealth. I don't want to have security and wealth because if I lose that, then I lose my security. I don't want my security in that. Continue the verse. They imagine it's a wall too high to scale. So they imagine there's an argument. There's a pretending that's going on. He's, he's planted this line and going, there's, this is going to help you. But it, it's just a lie. It's a lie. We got to be careful. We don't allow our money to be our security. You know, I've never met anybody on their deathbed that said, you know what? I wish I would have worked more. I've never met that person. But they're usually saying, I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. I wish I would have invested more in my marriage. I wish I would have just been a little bit more faithful to Jesus. It's never, I wish I could have made more money. My kids love things. They're so excited about Christmas. And the older they get, have you noticed that their, their wish list gets more expensive? Have you ever noticed that? Like when they were really little, they liked like action figures. And now they're like, I want an iPhone. And what? An iPad. An iWatch. I'm like, I don't think so. That's what I think. Yeah. Uh, but if I asked my son, I said, if you could have an iPhone or your dad home for a couple of weeks, just uninterrupted time with me, which would you choose? I know which one he'd choose. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. I was reading some of the last comments of Steve Jobs, who was the CEO of Apple. And uh, right before he passed, he, uh, here's what he said. He said, if I could do it all over again, I would have done it completely differently. I thought because I had all this money that I could save myself from anything bad happening to me. And of course, he died at a relatively young age. And he actually went on to say, I would have put my hope and my trust in something else other than money. What a statement. Hebrews 13, 
5 and 6 says, keep your lives free from the love of money. So it's not free from money. He says it's the free from the love of money because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So my employer's not my helper. My mommy and my daddy are not my helper. Uh, my, 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 that, that stuff, my help is from the Lord. He is my refuge and my strength and ever-present help in trouble. That's where I want to find my fortification. That's where I want to find my refuge. Come on, amen, somebody. That's where I want to find it. I want to find it in, in earthly materials. Here's lie number two is that money will make you feel significant. Money will make you feel, so we wrap our identity in our possessions. If I just had a little nicer clothes, maybe people would respect me. If I drove a little nicer car, maybe people would think that I'm cool. You can't look to those things to give you significance or identity. Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 15, this is the New Living Translation. Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So don't buy that lie. Don't put your, your identity, your value, your significance into your wealth because if you lose that, then you lose your identity. That's not a great thing. You lose who you are. Here's the third lie is that money will make you happy. Money will make me happy. And if that were true, the richest people on the planet would be the happiest. But I know some really rich people who are really miserable. Amen. Why? They have everything that you could possibly want. And you think, well, I have enough stuff. You know what stuff does? It gives you an appetite for more stuff. That's what stuff does. It actually creates more discontentment. I watch Shark Tank. Anybody love Shark Tank? I love Shark Tank. It's one of the few shows that my wife and I agree upon. Um, she's I'm typically watching NFL football, and she's watching like Grey's Anatomy or The Good Doctor. Um, yesterday, I, had, I left at 6.20 to go to, in the morning to go to a funeral in, uh, in Austin, and I got back about 9.15, 9.30 p.m. So it's a long day and I just wanted to spend some time with her. And so I go into the, the, the living room and she's watching Call the Midwife. Is that what it's called? And, uh, and, and it's just all those doctor shows, they do the incisions and they cut umbilical cords and they make those sound effects like... And I'm like, oh, that's nasty. I don't, like, I just, I just want to hold you and I can't even be in her presence. And... It's awful. But we both like Shark Tank. We both like Shark Tank. And one of the reasons we like Shark Tank, it's just, it's a fun show. I love Mark Cuban, but I also like Robert Hershevik. And Robert was trying to inspire an entrepreneur one day. And he said this to the entrepreneur. He said, I only sleep three hours a night because I've got to get back to the office. And I thought, how sad is that? You're a billionaire with a B and you're robbing yourself of one of the greatest treasures in life sleep come on somebody I love sleep you know I want to sleep eight hours and then take a nap right you know that's what I'm talking about he's he's working he's a billionaire and he goes I, I only sleep three hours gotta get back to the office you got all the money you're robbing yourself we just get so wrapped up and well this is gonna make me happy more and more and more will make me happy. Why this pursuit? The more a person has, the more he or she wants. It creates this appetite in us and it's just a dangerous place to be. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, those who love money will never have enough. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. Again, God's not saying you can't have wealth. I hope that you are so wealthy. I hope that you are the wealthiest person in Snyder, Texas. I really, really do. He's just against wealth having you. 
That's what he's against. And I think some of the best people on the planet are people that have a lot of wealth and they have God's agenda and they're advancing God's kingdom in mighty ways. Those are some of the most amazing people that I know. But when you put your hope, your security, and your significance in that money, that's where it becomes dangerous. So the question of today is pretty obvious. How do we get God's spirit on our money? How do we get God's spirit on our money? How do we do that? We're going to talk about that. Now look, if you've been coming to Colonial Hill for any length of time, since I've been here in March, I've never talked about money, okay? I don't like talking about money. And even when I'm going to talk about it, most of the time I'm going to give you a soft sell. I just don't talk about money a whole lot. But I'm going to be abundantly clear today, okay? This has nothing to do with with Colonial Hill. This has nothing to do with us at all. And I'm going to reemphasize that in just a minute. Here's what the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3. It says, will a mere mortal rob God? So the question is being asked, can we rob you? Like, is it possible for mere mortal human beings to rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? Like, how are we doing it? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. You're under a stronghold. You're under a lie. You're under a mindset. You're under a curse. Your whole nation, because you're robbing me. And then he says, bring the whole tithe. And a tithe literally translates as a tenth or 10% of your income into the storehouse. That's the place where you're worshiping. Bring, it, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Then he says this, I love this. He says, test me in this. It's the only time in this entire book God says, test me. Test me. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I don't throw out so much blessing on your life. I open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on your life, you don't have enough room to contain it. Can you imagine, right? Like a, like a bully, like you're talking to him and, and, and you say, hey, better stop talking trash. I'll punch you. Test me, right? Like the, right? That's God going, test me. Like bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Bring the whole tithe into the place that you worship and just see if I don't put so much blessing, I'll open the floodgates of heaven. You won't have enough room for what I've got in store for you. That's God's words, not mine. Luke six thirty eight. Jesus says something pretty similar. He says, give and it will be given back to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together. You ever open a bag of potato chips? It's pretty depressing. There's seven chips in there. Ah, oh, just a bunch of air, right? That's awful. That's not how God gives. He goes, it's a good, it's pressed down, it's shaken together, it's running over. It will be poured into your lap with the measure you use. It will be measured back to you. So I want to tell you this principle today. I really believe and practice it. I just believe that you should give a percentage of your income. And for my wife and I, it's at least 10%. In fact, when, when we, have our, we have a meeting with our sons, um, we give them, they get a $10 bill. We say, hey, where does the first dollar go, son? And they know the first dollar, the first fruits go to God. I get paid from the church, and this may sound backwards, but I want to give it right back to the church. The percentage, I give it right, like I get a check from the church, and then I write a check to the church, or I give online. I just immediately put that back to the church. Here's why. I know there's a blessing in store for me. It's not about Colonial Hill. It's about me, honestly, because I know that God has blessings for me when I honor him with my wealth, with whatever God has given me. You either do it or you don't do it. Tithers will tell you that God takes care of you when you honor him. Can I get an amen from the tithers? Come on, one more time. Can I get an amen from the tithers? Okay, I didn't, I didn't go to them before service and go, hey, I'm gonna need you to say amen real loud when that happens. It either works or it doesn't work, 
right? I could get, I could get <laughs> Darlene Stokes to come up here and she could have all of her math equations and she could never make 90% make more than 100%. She could never do it. It doesn't make sense. But I'm just telling you, it does work. Philippians 4 says that God shall supply all your needs. When you take care of God, he goes, I'll take care of you. And I cannot count on my hands and toes how many times, how many times where I get a, I get a, a check from an insurance company. When do they ever send you money ever? Uh, I got, um, I overpaid my escrow one time. I got a birthday check three months late. I'm like, happy birthday. I got, uh, we, we have some mineral rights that was like one thirty second mineral rights, like nothing. And it struck oil and I got a check and it was always at the time when I needed it most and I was continually faithful with God and God says, I'm gonna be faithful with you. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying today that you give and you say, okay, Lord, go to the mailbox. Let's see, Jesus, come on. Like it doesn't, it doesn't always happen that way. I'm just saying it sometimes happens. I cannot, over 20 times in my life where God says, I got you. Test me. And I've never regretted giving. The other narrative I've heard is, Pastor Reed, I can't afford to tithe. Can I say this as lovingly as I can? You'll never be able to afford to tithe because until you tithe, you're going to have a spirit of mammon on your money and you'll never get the full blessing of God. Again, this has nothing to do with Colonial Hill. This has everything to do with you. If I would be an unloving pastor, if I didn't tell you, you should give because it's a blessing for you. In Austin, part of my role at Christian Life Austin was I was in charge of financial um, assistance requests. So people would fill out a form, and you can imagine in Austin, our our process is a little different in Snyder, but they would fill out a request, and our church would give away tens of thousands of dollars in benevolence every single year. It was a very generous place. But I would get these requests, and it was a pretty exhaustive form. I would ask all these questions. And the very first question is asked is, do you pay tithes faithfully to a church? Not even our church, a church. And without fail, without fail, the answer was always no. Every single time. If they said yes, it always surprised me. And so I'd go to our financial administrator and I'd say, listen, I don't need to know how much. I just need to know if this person is telling me the truth. Can you, can you look their name up and see if they're in our records? No. Nope. There's something to that. It's interesting to me, right? That until you give, you can't open up the blessing of God on your life. So they're always gonna have a spirit of mammon on their money. That's why they're always in need. Let me give you three things to get this thing in your life, the spirit of God on your money, all right? You you gotta do all three as well to break this spirit of the stronghold in your life or it doesn't work. Here's the first one, is that you have to return the first. You have to return the first. And that's what you're doing right now. You're returning the first of your week before you go to school, before you go to work, before you start your Monday. You're saying, God, I'm giving you Sunday. You're giving in the very first, 9 a.m. Come on, somebody. Y'all are here early. I love you. These are the people that really love Jesus. Uh, right? You're giving him the first. You're saying, God, I'm giving you the first of my week. I'm giving you the first. I'm giving you Sunday. I'm tithing my week to you to show you that I love you and that you're important. God loves it when you tithe your time. I want to do the same thing with my money. Everything that JC and I get, we want to give our first to him. Our church does that, by the way. When you give today, do you know that almost 17% goes right back out the door immediately? Like we're constantly giving money away. We give actually above and beyond 17%, but we write a check and say, we're sending that out of here to do mission work all up. So when you tithe, we as a church tithe. We want to be a place that is constantly giving. Deuteronomy 14, 22 says, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. 
so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. It communicates to God, you're first in my life. You got first place. You're on the throne of my heart, which we talked about last week. His favorite thing to hear from you is when we wake up in the morning and we say, God, before I get on my email, before I get into my text messages, before I check facebook.com, I'm going to get in your face and I'm going to spend some time with you. I want to get in your word. God loves to hear that. And he says, I'm going to bless your day. Thanks for spending time with me, son or daughter. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, here's the New Testament. It says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So again, I think it's a percentage giving. I think the Bible teaches that saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Listen, we as a church don't ever want to pressure anybody into giving. You will never hear me say, I need you to give today, but I will ask you to ask God what you should give and whatever he says, just be obedient with that. In fact, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. It's not a stingy giving. It's not like, all right, I feel guilty, right? It's like, not reluctantly or under, because God loves a cheerful giver. Like, I, this is a decided number. This is what we're giving. It's a good month. I'm going to give that. It's a bad month. I'm going to give that. And I'm going to watch God do what only God can do. Here's my challenge to you. God says, test me. So test him, test him. See if he doesn't throw open the floodgates of heaven. I tell you what, give it six months, give it until Easter. And if he hadn't thrown open the floodgates and you're, you're regretting that, I've got a friend of mine who started a church in, uh, they're running a couple thousand people and they did a little thing. This is kind of scary and I didn't get deacon approval, but I feel pretty good about it. <laughs> He did a thing. I want to do the same thing. He did a thing. They got thousands of people in their church. And he said, why don't you give? Just give. And after six months, after six months, after six months, if, if you want your money back, we'll give it back to you. We'll write your check back to whatever you gave in six months. We'll give it back to you. And I asked him, I said, how many of your thousands in the congregation asked for a refund? Not pretty stunning. You think God would overlook somebody. Oh, I forgot about John, right? Like there'd be like one guy going, Hey, where's my blessing, Lord? Not one. I'll offer the same thing to you. You want to try giving? If by Easter you say, I need that money back, we'll cut you a check. I feel that confident, not in, in, in him. He says, test me. Why don't you test him and just see if he doesn't open up the floodgates for you? And pour out so much blessing and go, wow, I have been robbing myself, not the church. I don't even care if you give to our church. Just give. Test him. Bring it to some storehouse. Doesn't have to be this storehouse. Just give and just see if he doesn't open up the floodgates. I'm telling you, I, I would be an unloving person if I didn't tell you this. Because it's tremendously blessed my family. And it will bless yours as well. Here's the second principle. So you give the first, and number two, you steward the rest. So you can't just give God 10% and then just blow the other 90, right? God wants you to have fun. He wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to have hobbies and do those things. That's all good with God, all right? But he also wants you to be a good steward with the rest of whatever that is. Uh, in fact, Jesus even said, whoever can be trusted with little can be put in charge of more. So whatever that 90% looks like, just be a good steward with that. 
And, and that's where God says, hey, I, I see that you, you've been in charge of what I've given you and you've done a really good job with that, so I'm gonna bless you above and beyond. So I wanna be a good steward with all my money and I'm gonna give that much and then I'm gonna be a good steward with the rest of it. It still blows my mind that 90% of Americans do not live on a budget. That's crazy to me. We, like, they have no idea. It's like driving down the highway without gauges. I have no idea how fast I'm going. Don't even know how much gas I've got. Like, you're gonna end up on the side of the road every single time. And so if you don't have a budget, let me encourage you. One of my favorite websites uh, for free budget is everydollar.com, everydollar.com. It's Dave Ramsey put this website together, his team at Financial Peace University. It's incredible. You can plug in your numbers and it just kind of self-populates like how much percentage you're spending. Oh, I'm spending 63% on my automobiles. I probably should sell the car. That's a little bit high on the income meter. So it's awesome because it kind of puts all that, but just Plug in your numbers and see where you're at. And the idea is that you know where every dollar is going for, everydollar.com. Get on a budget. And I'm speaking specifically to young adults and young families because I know a lot of young adults, they're trying to live a life of someone who's maybe their parents or somebody that's 20 years ahead of them. Well, they've got a lot more life. They've got a lot more income probably. And you're trying to drive the same kind of vehicles and have the same kind of homes. Well, they make more money than you do. And so you better believe that credit card companies prey on you, not P-R-A-Y, P-R-E-Y. They prey on you. My first, when I turned 18, my, this is not a joke, my first birthday card that I got in the mail when I turned 18 was from Discover. Happy birthday, Reed, 19% interest, right? They, 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 they're, they're on you because they know, hey, you want what mama has, don't you? Well, then why don't you just put it on the card? Get on a budget. Get, make smart choices. Be careful. Set a budget. Proverbs 21.5 says the plans, there's a plan, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. I've got a plan. I've got a budget. I know where I want to spend my money. As surely as haste leads to pro, uh, pro, poverty. Just get more diligent with your dollars. In fact, uh, we're doing a small group right now. It's way too late to join, but we do Financial Peace University. Ron and Taylor McClung do this. Taylor has gone off and gotten specific training to lead you in that. And they're probably gonna do this again in January. I'd highly encourage you to get plugged in. If you've never done FPU, I've taught it, I've taken it. It's incredible. It set us free. It it will help you. We wanna help you get a handle on your finances. If you're having fights in your marriage because of money, let's get you on track. Financial Peace University is a great small group that will help you. Before I give you number three, let me give you the verse. It's Luke 12, 16 through 21. It says, Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. I love the saying, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. Let me say it again. Do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. If, if if you die and you just give it away, to, you have no idea where that money goes. Do your giving when you're living so you're knowing where it's going. I don't want to have all this surplus and not know what happens to it. I want to give today so I know where it goes today. Matthew 6, 
19 through 21, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves, which is interesting. He's not saying store up for God, store up for Jesus. He says, store up for you treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So there's, again, something I can do with my physical dollars that makes a deposit in an eternal bank account. He goes, don't store up here, store up there. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity as we take up the offering to give, to exercise this, maybe for the very first time and say, I want to give today. Okay, God, I'm trusting you. Here's what it all boils down to. Two questions. Is God real? And is he telling the truth? Is God real? And if the answer to that is yes, or maybe, then is God telling the truth? then I'm gonna test him and just see if he doesn't throw out so much blessing on my life. I don't have enough room. If, if, he, if it is pressed down and shaken together and running over, I, again, our church is gonna be fine if you don't give today. We're gonna be fine. I want this for you. I want this for you. I don't, I don't care what church you give to. If you're, on, if you're watching online today, if you're watching on TV, go to our website, colonialhill.org. You can give there. I, I want this for you because you're robbing yourselves of a massive blessing and you've got the spirit of mammon on your money and not the spirit of God. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, this is so big. Again, a third of the words that you said on this earth when you were robed in flesh dealt with money because you knew it'd be a massive issue. You knew that people would struggle with it. God, I pray that you would release the spirit of mammon on this church and free them, give the spirit of God on all their money because that's blessed. Again, you're not against people having wealth. You're not against people having money. You're just against it having us. So God, I pray you'd free us, free families. God, families that right now don't have financial peace, they have financial turmoil. They have debt up to their ears. God, free them. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the third point. Here's the thought. Focus on true riches. Give you an opportunity to do that in just a few minutes. Before the offering, before we take up the offering, I want to give an invitation. Um, and this is an opportunity for you to say, I, I, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And in fact, if you're here today, I want to give you an opportunity right now. So you don't have to come to the front. You don't have to talk to me. This is just you and God having this conversation. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Again, I just do this for the sake of anonymity so nobody's looking around. If that's you today and you say, read like... I need him. I need Jesus. I would love, love to pray for you. And today you can leave here a different person than what you came in here. You can leave here saved by the grace of God. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's nothing you've done. You can't give today. You can't attend today. You can't read your Bible enough today. It's nothing. It's not by works so no one can boast. It's all about Jesus and his grace being sufficient for you. But if you'd like to accept Jesus as your Savior today, as your Lord today, I want to pray for you. I just need to know who I'm praying for. So nobody's looking around, but I am, and I want to know who I'm praying for. Would you just slip your hand in this moment and just say, Reed, would you pray for me?
Would you include me in that prayer today? Lord Jesus, I thank you for those who are making decisions today and I pray that indeed you would save them. You can just repeat this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. You've given your life for me and today I give my life to you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I want to honor you with all my life, including those things that you've entrusted to me. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for forgiveness. And thank you for your love in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we put our hands together and just honor God today? He's good.